All right, we'll go ahead and get started. We are, looks like we're doing session six. Uh, this is God Protects. We are going to be in Isaiah chapter 31, 1 to 9. So go ahead and stick your finger there. Um, some of you have asked what, how there's uh, churches that are different than what we're doing and teaching in here. Don't we all? have the same uh, lessons or same ideas and stuff. And uh, as I was studying through this week, I ran across um, an interesting group. I wouldn't even call them a church. Um, But they've been around for a long time. Uh, It is the Unity. Uh, That's what it's called. Not Unity Church, but the Unity And it was founded by Charles Sherlock Fillmore uh, around 1889. And what it is, it was a church that came out of the New Thought Movement, along with his wife. Uh, She was another teacher of this, um, Myrtle Page Fillmore. And uh, now Charles was known as the American mystic for his contributions to the spiritualists' interpretation of biblical scriptures. Uh, What they were is they were metaphysical Christians. And their view, they used the same Bible you and I have, the one sitting right in front of you, but they were metaphysicists. And so they would look at scripture and the idea wasn't that God was so much as a being as um, an existence. And that scripture was the key to unlock all the powers uh, that we could have. And they have, uh, they have hundreds of pamphlets and brochures and writings on how to unlock this or how to unlock that. And they, they come to this passage. Actually, it was on this particular passage as we're going about to read. And they would ask questions like we're going to read about chariots and horses. And those things represent keys to understanding the human condition and stuff. And so it's all metaphysical. It's all way out there, all this heady new thought stuff. Nowadays, we call it new age. They're still around, but it's this new age stuff. But back in the 1800s, it was all new thought. It came with the Renaissance, with the age of... um, Enlightenment, right. And so they looked to bring science to it, and it gave birth to what, what, what becomes the metaphysis, metaphysical uh, things. And they created an entire Christian church. And so it's logged under Christianity. It's a church. They use the Bible. They're, they're cons- they consider themselves Christians. But they, they totally do not view Scripture the way we do. They don't teach the way we do uh, and, and all that. So just... Uh, as I found that, I'm like, ah, oh, yeah, th- here's a prime example of a church that doesn't fall into what we think of when we think church. We think evangelicals are at least uh, orthodox. Um, so th- they're not Protestant. They're not orthodox. They're not, uh, they're, they're somewhere out in left field with it. Anyway, so I just wanted, I just wanted to share. Yeah, well, that's it. The, the, the idea of releasing and unlocking our godness um, so that we can be more like him. It's kind of like Scientology in a way. 
isn't it? Like, it, it, yeah, there is, but it's more sin is what's holding us down. And we, but we, instead of, we don't need a savior. We need to release ourselves from it. And there, there's, yeah, they, everything in scripture is a, an ideal and we need to understand it to apply it. And it's, it's really strange. Uh, it's a strange way of thinking. They're very heady in their thinking. Uh, they, they tend to be mostly intellectuals that are in this. This is what you do when you have degrees in philosophy and can't get a job. You start making your own religions, right? I work at Starbucks. That doesn't pay as much as building your own religious organization. All right, so we'll go ahead and get started. Again, we're in uh, Isaiah 31, 1 to 9. Um, we're looking at God protecting, and we're going to... There it goes. Yeah, I had to wake it up. Uh, we'll go ahead and get started. We're going to look at Isaiah 31, 1 to 3. Somebody go ahead and read that for us. Woe to those who go down to Egypt for help and rely on horses. And trust in chariots because they are many, and in horsemen because they are very strong. But do not look to the Holy One of Israel or consult the Lord. And yet he is wise and brings disaster. He does not call back his words, but will arise against the house of the evildoers and against the helpers of those who work iniquity. The Egyptians are man and not God, and their horses are flesh and not spirit. When the Spirit stretches out his hand, the helper will stumble, and he who is helped will fall, and they will all perish together. Okay, so what's going on here? Okay, so... Yeah, they thought they could be... All right, so where did we start all this? Back in the beginning of Isaiah. This is chapter 31, back in Isaiah 1. Where did all this start? Well, it was uh, King Ahaz. King Ahaz? Uh, trusting in other... Who is he trusting in? Uh, what was it? The, the, the Assyrians? The Assyrians. So King Ahaz, back in chapter 1, was putting his faith in the Assyrians... Uh, Isaiah came to him, remember, said, just ask God whatever you want and he'll give you a sign so that you believe and all that. Ahaz said, not a chance. I don't need God to give me a sign. Uh, I, I'm more godly than that and, and all that. So now, now we've got this king and he's trusting in Egypt. Egypt. Well, we need to, first of all, understand. Let's jump to our timeline. So if you've got it. Uh, here's our timeline of Isaiah's life. And uh, here, this little green stripey that I just put down, uh, that was King Ahaz. Here's King Ahaz. You can see him if you've got your timeline right there. Here's Isaiah at the top. Ahaz is right here. So somewhere in that green stripe is um, the time period of like chapter 1. Uh, if you see, if you can see here, again, if you've got your thing, right down here at the bottom is uh, the siege of Samaria. If you remember, Samaria and, um, I can't remember who the other country is next door. 
uh, what would be Lebanon today. Remember, they, were, they tried to get... Huh? Phoenicia? No, it wasn't Phoenicia. Anyway, they tried to get Judah to join them against Assyria. And uh, Judah Ahaz said, no, we're not going to join you. And so they decided they were going to wage war on Judah and come down and put a puppet king in so that they could then fight against uh, Assyria. Well, Ahaz said, no, I'm going to make friends with Assyria and all that. And then, because this is what happens, Syria shows up, Shalmanzer V, and they lay siege to Samaria, which is the northern kingdom, Israel. Um, They lay siege to it for like, what is that? I think it says six years. Yeah, six years. Six years they lay siege to Samaria, and a lot of bad things happen there and the like. And so that whole thing ends. So you can see, I mean, it ends in six years. Now we're in chapter 31. The clock has gone forward. We're somewhere out here. All right, so this is where 31 picks up. So you can see a lot of years pass. Um, Now we are in the time period of Hezekiah. So Hezekiah is facing the same thing. Uh, Assyria is wanting to come and attack Judah. And uh, he turns to Egypt for his uh, protection. Um, You can see right, if you can see it right here, this is the Sennacherib crisis. 135,000 Assyrians encircle Hezekiah and Jerusalem and all that. Well, that's what's coming. And so this is like the months leading up to that. Isaiah shows up in the court and he gives this speech To Hezekiah in chapter 31, 1 to 3, he starts this speech, don't rely on Egypt, they're just men, they're not God. So this is where we're at, so just so that we're all on this, I mean, I know we've been going through this pretty much verse by, well, not verse by verse, but chapters and all that, but Isaiah himself, there's a lot of time missing, he doesn't write about it. I don't know what happened, he doesn't write about the transition of power from Ahaz to Hezekiah, we don't know any of that. It's not here. Isaiah doesn't write. But he does write here. And so we're jumping forward. This is a new king, a different um, issue. But it's the same thing again. Hezekiah is doing exactly what his father did. Same problem. They want to put trust, their faith, in humans. Human governments. Um, And so this is what we got. We we have moved to... um, Part of our outline, number five, uh, which is the woes upon the unbelievers of Israel. Uh, I mean, you can see it. We start off with rebukes, the promise of Emmanuel, the coming judgment. First cycle uh, was where we were last week. We were looking at the first cycle of general judgment and promises. Now it's woes. We've moved from just uh, what's happening to actual, uh, this is a woe by Isaiah. Said God is going to do something if you don't change. So here we go. This is false hope. As we look at Isaiah 31, Isaiah is trying to communicate it's false hope. If we put our trust in men, nations, governments, whatever, it's false hope. What's the real hope? 
Yeah, God. Isaiah is, Isaiah is trying to teach them something. Look at this. It's, yeah, they've got weapons. They've got horses. They've got chariots. They've got men. But what's that compared to God? Nothing. Yeah. Egypt. Egypt's military was the strongest in the world. And they lost to who? Going way back. At the peak of their power. Moses. Moses. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and who was Moses doing? Who, was, who, who actually did that? Oh, God. Yeah. Their entire military was swept away by the Red Sea, right? <laughs> Egypt, at the height of its power, is cracked by ten plagues that come to them. Israel marches out and gets to the Red Sea, and Egypt thought, we're going to get our revenge, we're going to extract justice, and chase them down with all those chariots and horsemen, right? They're backed up to the Red Sea. Who could have predicted? Who could have guessed? I want to know what the long odds were on that. What was Vegas offering? <laughs> Slaves with nothing but everything they own on their backs, no weapons, no military and all that. The Egyptian army. I mean, I, I'm sure there were people taking odds on it. What's the spread? You're trapped against the a river. Slim to none. Slim to none. But th th this is God. God shows up. Tells Moses to do what? Huh? Fanduel. Yeah, I'm sure there were. They had it on stone tablets. It was, it was in your... <laughs> What is Moses told to do? Well, stretch out his arms. Stretch out his arms. And the Red Sea parts. And the Israelites, they go across. The, on dry ground, yeah. And what is the Egyptians, all those chariots, horses, armor, great weapons, what do they do? They chase after them, right? And what does God do? He closes the river. He closes the, uh, the Red Sea up over them. And there goes the entire Egyptian army. How strong was it? Not. Not. This is what Isaiah is, this is what Isaiah is doing. He is reminding Hezekiah in the court, don't put your faith in him. God's already beaten them once. They are not gods. Egypt could not save them. Egypt could not save Israel. They couldn't capture them when God wanted them freed. And it, they're not going to save them from Assyria if God wants them defeated. Don't put your faith in Egypt. Now, it's Sunday. We got two days. Yeah, I'm going to meddling. Two days and what happens? We have the presidential election, yes. Now, many of us, I'm sure, don't hold a whole lot of hope in whoever wins. We're just hoping it all ends. Um, whichever candidate wins is irrelevant. The right government cannot save us. If God's will is the downfall of the United States... Uh, we, can't, we, we, we can't elect the right person, can we? There's no hope. 
it's the same thing here. If Jerusalem was due to fall, Hezekiah could make whatever treaty with anybody he wanted. It wasn't going to save him. See, it's false hope. Right living can't save us. See, that's looking at it in government terms. But now let's look at it in personal terms. We are sinful by nature. We're born sinful. We live sinful lives. We do the wrong thing any chance we get. Um, just because that's who we are. I mean, we, we try. Right living can't save us. We have to come to Christ. We need his blood for salvation. See, it's the same thing. There, there are so many out there that think, well, if I could just get my act together. It's all false hope. Other people can't save us. Governments can't save us. Constitutions can't save us. Right living can. Our deeds will not save us. It's false hope. We wallow in false hope as humans, don't we? I mean, just look at the ads, the campaign slogans. Um, we can't afford who, you know, insert candidate's name. They'll be the ruination of us. They'll be our downfall. The problem is we've already fallen, haven't we? We just don't realize it yet. Hezekiah, looking around... Biggest army besides Assyria is Egypt. Chariots, horses, that's what we need, right? We need the strength of whoever, whatever. The superpower. The superpower, sure. But it's false hope. Most of the things we cling to are jobs, money, power, status, whatever it is. It's, it's false hope. And we've talked about it as we've looked at these lessons week after week out of Isaiah. It's not that God has something against those things, but because of their false hope, they're what? They're, they're idols. They're, yeah, they're idols. They're lies that we tell ourselves. They're idols that we begin to worship. That's where we're going next. Let's... Uh, Let's go ahead and, and take a look at it. They become our idols. Isaiah 31, 4 through 5. I think somebody was reading ahead. For thus the Lord said to me, As a lion or a young lion growls over his prey, and when a band of shepherds is called out against him, he is not terrified by their shouting or daunted by their noise. So the Lord of hosts will come down to fight on Mount Zion and on its hill, like birds hovering. So the Lord of hosts will protect Jerusalem. He will protect and deliver it. He will spare and rescue it. All right, so true hope or true faithfulness. Israel has been living in a manner not conducive to the law, right? They were offering sacrifices in the proper method. But what weren't they doing? Their heart was not in it. Their heart was not in it. It wasn't, uh, okay, here's what I, you know, I, I brought my bull. Go ahead and sacrifice it. 
And then they would go home to the family shrine of idols at their house and offer sacrifice to that because they didn't put any faith in God. They, had, they, were, they were looking at false hope. They were looking at God in terms of everybody, all the other kingdoms and how they acted with their gods. They assumed God was the same way and not like he is. And so they began sliding away and just treating God like all the other Canaanite gods. And so they didn't have any faith in God. Hence, the reason Hezekiah is looking to make a treaty, just like Ahaz was trying to make a treaty, to save them from aggressors. Well, here's what's unique. The other gods, by their own canons... If you didn't follow their prescribed doings, they would get mad and would punish you, right? That, that's how it works. If you didn't sacrifice to Neptune, uh, he would raise the ocean against you and so sink your ships and you'd lose all your profits and all that. So you got to go down to the temple of Neptune and pay your dues, if you will, which is more like a... Yeah, really, the, the gods of the ancient world were more like labor unions of today. If you don't pay your dues, you don't get to keep your job. We're going to send the bully boys along and either oust you or beat it out of you. I mean, that's kind of the way it works, right? But wouldn't that imply that they existed in the first place? Well, see, that's the problem. They had men that were the temple priests and temple guards and all that that kept pushing it. And make things happen. So, yeah, you didn't bring your offering. All right, so-and-so didn't bring their offering to Baal. Go out there and salt his fields in the middle of the night. And, oh, Baal has cursed you and you're not, you know, see? We, we make miracles happen. <laughs> that, that, that's, I mean, think about it. Pharaoh, when confronted by Moses with the ten plagues, right? The first few plagues... Pharaoh's like, oh, you're a fake. Look, I've got magicians that can do the same thing, right? That's what they did. They, they, there were plenty of people around pretending to have powers, and it was all, you know, this whole thing. Oh, you, you can't do that. Until Moses started getting into the more complicated plagues. And they're like, then the priests are like, no, man, he is the real deal. You need to, I mean, you just go back and read that account. They fess up. Look, we don't, we, this is something, this is God. This isn't. Uh, magician's tricks and stuff like that. We can't do this. You need to bow to this God and do whatever he wants. And, you know, we know the story. Pharaoh doesn't. The same is going on. And so the Israelites have had the wool pulled over their eyes because they did not, in the days of Joshua, get rid of all the people they were supposed to. They didn't get rid of all the um, temples and gods and goddesses. They just absorbed them into their communities. And over the years, it became more and more popular. Let's face it, um, there are several of those deities, their fertility goddesses and stuff. They've got some really fun festivals. Uh, and they, they, they began going and participating because uh, this is fun, this is cool and all that. And eventually, they began to view God the same way they viewed their gods. And you know, after a few hundred years, they no longer can tell the difference. They're just treating God the same way they do. And so God does not give up, though, on what is his. 
Remember, there's a covenant in place. And yes, there's a conditional covenant with Israel that if he makes, if they make them make him their God, he'll do all these things. But there's also an unconditional covenant that goes all the way back to Abraham, where he said, "Your people, you're you're mine. I, you you belong to me, and I'm going to take care of you." It was an unconditional covenant God made with Abraham. So they didn't get to live the good life in the land like they should because they weren't following the conditions. They weren't living God's way, which would have made it a really good thing. But God wasn't throwing them out either. He wasn't getting rid of them, which means that he's going to bring his punishment on them to try and get them to change. He doesn't give up on what is his. Now, we know from Paul, we're his, right? That we're in the palm of his hand and nobody can take us from it. And there's all those sayings and verses that, that we get from Paul and, and the like about how as Christians we belong to him. That doesn't mean that we don't stray, does it? And just because we stray or want to stray or are trying to stray, guess what? We don't get away, do we? Israel kept trying to change. They wanted to be like everybody else. Give us a king so that we can be like all the other nations. All right, you want a king, you get a king. But I'm still God. I am still your king, right? And I'm still going to send the king of kings to you at some point. See, God had this plan. And no matter how much they tried to get rid of God, uh, he's still there. Because he doesn't give up on what is his. Secondly, we see here, God protects that which belongs to him. Israel belonged to him. If you look back, verse 4. For thus the Lord said to me, as a lion, or a young lion growls over his prey. You ever seen a lion with its prey? You ever had a dog that's got a bone? Does it give it up? No, not willingly. Uh, we, you know, you try and take that. We, we, had a, we had a lab. He had a towel. It was his toy. He wouldn't give it up. His favorite game was tug of war. Um, and it, when that failed, it'd be chase, and he'd run off with it. He wasn't giving that thing up for anything. If you wanted it, you had to wait for him to put it down and go somewhere else and then get it. Because he wasn't going to give it to you. Then it's all slimy. Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> for the Lord said to me, as a lion or a young lion growls over his prey, and when a band of shepherds is called out against him, he is not terrified by their shouting or daunted at their noise. So the Lord of hosts will come down to fight on Mount Zion. And the Assyrians are coming with 136,000 troops. God knows it. Jerusalem is his. Judah belongs to him. They're not going to take it. Not at this point. Because they belong to God. Faithfulness in God would be to believe him. God is faithful to take care of us. See, I don't think we often believe that. We believe in bank accounts, don't we? There's nothing like a good, fat, stuffed savings account so that when there's a problem or laying off or uh, governmental collapse, I've got my gold stashed under the floorboards in the back bedroom, or whatever it is, I'm, I'm good, I'm safe, I'm secure. Or, or even 
more. I've got a cabin out in the woods stacked with ammo, guns, and food, and we're, you know, hide out from the zombie apocalypse there. Where's our faith? In ourselves, in those things, in those objects, or in those people. We've got a community, and we're, we're going to defend it, and we've got, uh, you know, 400 acres, and we've all got bunkers, and we've got farming set up, and we've got a plan, and all that. It's false hope. And as we know from previous lessons, God hates lies. It's not, I mean, that's the whole problem with pride in those things. It's a lie to ourselves. God does not give up on what is his. God protects that which belongs to him. In this case, in Isaiah, it's Judah. And he's trying to communicate this. God is like a lion. He ain't giving it up. He won't be driven off by shepherds making noise because that's all any army on the world is. I don't care who it is. It could be China and all their one million man army. It is just noise to God. We saw what he did to Egypt with their, their massed army, with their advanced chariots and all that. <laughs> just nobody, like I said, nobody could have beaten those odds. Who could have predicted that they would be washed away down in the Red Sea? Nobody. And God's trying to get through this, get through to Hezekiah. Hey, don't put your faith. What are we putting our faith? Are we putting our faith in who gets elected on Tuesday? Is that where our faith is? Or are we trusting in what God's trying to do? Maybe He's trying to get our attention. Maybe he's trying to remove the ridiculous church that is in, in the United States with all its televangelists and all that because it's soiling his good name. I mean, let's face it. The church has got two black eyes, a busted nose, and a bloody lip from the media. And it's, and it's not because we haven't deserved it. I mean, just look at the nonsense going on in the church today. Uh, I mean... How many more cases of child abuse do we need out of the Catholic Church? How many more evangelical televangelists raking in huge money with multiple jets, homes, and planes, collecting it for poor orphanages in Haiti or whatever? And they're about to do that because God says they need their own special plane to get Oh, yeah. 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 I mean, you look at the church, the state of the church... Not particularly this one, but just the church in general in the United States. We don't have a great reputation. I mean, come on, I'm thinking of the church out of, what was it, Arkansas, Oklahoma, where they were going to military funerals and picketing them because the military allows gays in it. What do the two have to get? I mean, come on. Yeah, the, the two have nothing to do with it. On 422, I had, before you get off the Collegeville exit, there's a big Baptist church mm -hmm. there. And it always strikes me because underneath its name, it's written the Caring Church. And I thought, aren't all churches caring? They, you know, they had to advertise that. But they're not. Every time I see it, the Caring Church. Uh, you'd be amazed at how many churches are not. How many churches are there for themselves? We three and, and you know. They're not open to outsiders or what they perceive as outsiders. Our faith needs to be in God. And he's got a plan. And I mean, that's what Chris has been trying to teach 
as he's going through Revelation, there's a plan laid down from, you know, the foundations of the world. It's moving forward. The question is, is our faith in that or is our faith in ourselves? What are we doing? Do we really believe that he's protecting us? And sometimes our protection is our removal. I mean, he didn't allow the, I don't know if you've ever read the Fox's Book of Martyrs, but he didn't allow all those people to be martyred for punishment. It was for his plan. It was for his purpose. It's what he had. And uh, it's a hard lesson that that may be where uh, we may be going here in the future uh, with the United States, that we may need to be removed in order for God's plan to continue on. It doesn't seem right from our perspective. Let's face it. Uh, I certainly do not wish to have my life snuffed short, but... uh, or to have to suffer that. But again, anything else is false hope. Anything else is putting our hope in something that isn't God. And so that's where we have to come back and bow the knee to his sovereignty, to the fact that he knows. And we have to believe that that's our, it is in our best interest. It's a hard place to sit. Hezekiah is in that same boat, though. We're, we're not the first to have to struggle with that. Hezekiah is a young man. He is facing annihilation by the superpower of the day. Assyria is coming. I mean, if, if, if the numbers are true and he brings 136,000 troops, that's, I mean, even for us, that's a lot of troops. And they're coming to lay siege. They've already, by this point, they've already destroyed the northern kingdom. Samaria is gone. The Israelites have been carried off. The northern kingdom doesn't exist anymore. And there's Judah, which is much smaller, facing down, staring down the barrel of the dominant power. And God's calling him to put your faith in me, not in how many troops you have or how many friends you have. Any other comment or question? All right, one more set. Isaiah chapter 31, verses 6 through 9. Somebody. Turn to him from whom people have deeply revolted, O children of Israel. For in that day everyone shall cast away his idols of silver and his idols of gold, which your hands have sinfully made for you. And the Assyrians shall fall by the sword, not of man. And a sword, not of man, shall devour him. And he shall flee from the sword. And his young man shall be put to forced labor. His rock shall pass away in terror, and his officers desert the standard in panic, declares the Lord, whose fire is in Zion and whose furnace is in Jerusalem. All right, some observations out of here. What do you see? What's going on? There's a call to return to God. Okay, a call to return to God. Even more basic. Don't spiritualize it. Get rid of the false gods. Okay, get rid of the false gods, but not just get rid of them. Cast them away. What are they made of? If you cast something away, well, yeah, I could, but when you cast something away, you're not uh, repurposing it. The wording here in the Hebrew is that they are throwing, I mean, this is like taking it to the dump and tossing it into the bottom. 
They are not, he's, he's not talking about, that's, I mean, let's face it, it's gold. You took good money and paid somebody to take gold, good money, and mold it into a statue. We're not talking about, he, he's not talking about melt down the statue and reclaim your gold and put it back in your pocket. They're talking about throwing it away. I mean, you understand that. We're not talking about, well, I can get, I can get something back on this. They're being called to dispose of this thing because it's, it's gold. It's a statue. It's an idol. Sinfully made, he calls it. I mean, you understand what he's calling for. So that's like saying, okay, you, you worship that big house, that big automobile, or that big bank account. Don't redeem it. Don't put that house up for sale. Just leave it. Don't sell the car. Just leave it. Walk away. That big bank account, you're done with it. Don't, don't try and get a tax write-off. Don't, don't, it's done. You just, you get rid of it. It's gone. You, nothing back from it. Can you imagine? I mean, I, I, I know every one of us is sitting here thinking the same thing. I, that, that, but that's what he's calling for. I mean, I, can't, I just can't imagine that. It's sinful. Have no more part with it. Sin goes in one way, you go in the other way, and you leave it there. It's so foreign to our Western mentality. Well, just think of all the good I could do with it. I, I could give it to missions. I could donate it to an orphanage. We could turn that really big, nice house into a, a school or something useful, right? We, we come up with all these things. That's what they did. And you know what ends up happening? It's a little bit over time, it becomes the idol again. Is that why God told Saul get rid of it all? Get rid of it, yeah. Well, Jericho, destroy everything. Yeah. And Saul was told to go down to Midian, destroy and kill everything. Everyone, don't, don't bring any of it back because it just worms its way back in. It's that little quiet voice of Satan there. Oh, it's okay. It's all right if you eat the fruit. It's not bad for you. It, it's that lie, that little quiet lie that lingers and, and it twists. And that's what Satan does. And before long, guess what's back in front? That's why God says, just leave it. Don't get rid of it. Um, yeah, I mean, that's, <laughs> that just seems so astounding to our... our we, we always got a better idea, don't we? Mm-hmm. Saul had a better idea, didn't he? Brought all those sheep. Oh, we're going to sacrifice them to God. God knew what was going to happen with them. They were going to end up in everybody's flocks. Assyria. How are they going to be defeated? Whose sword? Yeah, a sword, not of men. I mean, the passage can't make it any clearer. Don't you worry about it. We're going to eliminate them. God's going to take care of it. They didn't need to do anything. Repentance is demonstrated here. When we repent, how do we define it? How do we define repentance? A turning away. So where is it? It's behind you, right? And you move in the opposite direction. When we repent, we turn away from that sinful thing. 
we throw away those idols made of gold, silver. I love this, this phrase. Stop dethroning God. When we repent, we put God back on his throne where he belongs in our life and we dethrone whatever it is that's taken his place. Those statues, those idols, whatever they are. I mean, in Israel's case, they were very real statues made of gold and silver. Today, we're, we're, we think we're so more sophisticated because we don't have these stone or wood-carved beings that we bow down in front of. But we think, we think in terms of humanity or science, economics, governments, or unity, peace, war, through those things, we, we worship those things. We have this higher ideal. But the reality is, is that all of those things, government, economics, science, the Middle Eastern cultures, they had gods for those. They worshiped them too. They just had an object that they bowed before and brought food and incense and offerings to. We, I mean, we have banks made of stone, aren't they? They're usually marble, beautiful edifices. And we bring our offering, don't we? Usually about 19%, right? They just take it. <laughs> They've gotten better at it than they were back then. Nowadays, you put your money in there and they just withdraw that 19% at the end of every month for whatever it is, right? We still bring offerings to them. Government, come on, we worship the government. They can fix anything. They can do anything. And they take, what, what's the tax rate right now? Zero to 45%. 40, yeah, 45%. There you go. Yep. Every April 15th. 45%, please. Yeah, that's, we, we call it taxes, but really it's our offering to the government. And we worship it. I mean, just, just, just look at the, the stuff going on with these elections. Uh, we, we, it's, uh, how much time and effort is put out? I was listening to a friend the other night. He goes around and puts signs out for the opponent next to the, uh, the other guy. <laughs> I don't know how many hours he spends. He's actually got his son helping him. His son drives. He's the getaway driver. I mean, I'm thinking, okay, that's pretty funny and pretty cool. But think about that. He is dedicated. He is dedicated to it. And how many signs? I saw a sign. I was delivering uh, food out by Lansdale. And there was a guy who had a sign out front that somebody keeps stealing his Trump signs. That they keep stealing his signs. So he had a sign up there, you know. Uh, how many signs do you have to replace before you're, before it's, I mean, that's, that's dedication. Yeah, that stuff ain't cheap. Are we dethroning God with something else? I mean, if we put that much effort into doing good and serving God in some manner, the problem is that we think we are serving God when we're serving that, don't we? Because our candidate's godly, right? Yeah. Which one? <laughs> Not going there. Come on, Andrew. We, we, we've got to realize that when we dethrone God and put our faith in something else, whether it's science, 
And, uh, you know, that, that includes health care. Um, we, we think that they're, they're going to be our savior. You know, there's nothing wrong with going and getting something fixed that's broke. But when our faith is in that, oh, I can live forever. I, I just had this. I just had this whole discussion with my doctor. She's a, she, I don't know what she's called. Endocrinologist for my diabetes. And she is convinced that if I would just make these changes, you know, I, how much longer I can live. And I'm like, doc, I don't care. I don't want to live forever. I wanna, I'm going to live as long as God wants. And I have this whole conversation with her, and she's, she's going to be 70. And she's just like, she just could not imagine that I would say such a thing. It was, she was boggled that I wouldn't want to make changes so that my life might be extended and all that. I'm like, I'm going to put out all that time, effort, and money, and you can't guarantee me that I'm going to live longer because you have no control over it. And it, it just, she's like, no, no, this, this, I'm like, really? So when did you become God? <laughs> I mean, well, I didn't actually ask her that. But, say, did you ask her that? No, I didn't actually. But that was my thought. And it's because we have put our faith in science. But we, we, can, we can do that. We can live longer. We, can do, we don't live one second longer than God wants us to. And that's, we cannot save ourselves, but we, we buy into the world's lie that we can. And let's face it, healthcare is selling that. They are selling that for all it's worth. Have more insurance. Sorry. If they're, I'm sorry, most of these healthcare insurance companies, guess what they own? Insurance companies that sell life insurance, don't they? Yeah. Why are you selling life insurance if you can fix my problems and I can live forever? <laughs> really? Yeah. We can't, we can't save ourselves. We, we have to come to the realization that God's in charge. All human ways fail, even if we bring them into the church. When we Christianize these worldly things, whether it be uh, government, we, you know, we, we need these government programs because the church can't handle all the cases needed for, um, what, what do they call it? It's uh, foster care. We, we need the government's help. And so then we begin to sponsor that. Why aren't we taking care of them? That's what we were told to do, take care of the orphan, the widow, and all that. Why is the church not involved? Well, we need the government's help. And we, we've, we bring it into the church. We now have all the Christian Zumba classes and all that for your health. We, we can fix it. Really? I, I don't think it works that way. We begin Christianizing things. We, we've got supposedly Christian um, uh, wealth management sources. All right, there are probably there are godly ways to manage your money, but a lot of these guys are no different than the world in trying to capitalize and make you as much money as possible. But we, we bring them in. Uh, and we have to examine, is what, they're, you know, is what they're teaching what God is saying, or are they just wrapping it in a nice Christian package? If God doesn't do it, it doesn't work. We see this over and over again. As we look at the Old Testament, this point is so powerfully demonstrated. 
God doing it. We see it at the Red Sea. <coughs> there was nothing Israel could do. Moses could do nothing. God had to part the Red Sea. Otherwise, they were done. What about Gideon? God keeps telling Gideon, cut your force, cut your force. It's too many, it's too many, it's too many. Gideon wins the battle phenomenally and decisively with the fewest possible men. And he did really nothing. He carried torches and made noise. <laughs> and they ran away. And then they chased him down and slaughtered him. Goliath, David, young boy, somewhere in his teens, Full-time warrior, nine feet tall. David's going to win? Really? I want to know what the long odds were on that. I know there was a FanDuel guy standing on the sideline <laughs> offering odds. I, I'm telling you that somebody was making money on that and he lost. They bet on the wrong horse. It's a phenomenal thing. And yeah, I've seen all the science. You know, the stone had to be this way and that and hit the right spot. Yeah, but what are the chances? Only God could have done that. Elijah, Mount Carmel. Huh? Soak that bull. Again, do it again, do it again. God, make it happen. Whoosh, gone. I, I mean, yeah, really? There was nothing Elijah could have done. 450 prophets of Baal versus one guy. What are the odds on that one? But God shows up. See, God does it. We can't save ourselves. Elijah couldn't save himself even after that when Jezebel's hunting him. He's hiding in a cave. God's got ravens bringing food and stuff. Yeah. Elisha, same thing. Drought. Ravens again bringing him food, a brook, water. Yeah. It, 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 we see this over and over again. What about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Huh? Example there? We're not bowing. We're not giving up into the furnace. What are the chances of that? I mean, you want some seriously long odds? A furnace so hot that it burned up the guards that were bringing them into it. And there they are standing, sunbathing. God, I mean, God pulls it off. How many more examples do we need before we learn our lesson, right? Because we're not any better than Hezekiah is. Daniel? Lion's Den, old guy. You know that that's the way it went, right? He wasn't a young kid. We always see the pictures from our Sunday school children. Sunday school. Daniel was old when that happened. He's probably 50, 60 years old when this Wait takes place. That's old. Hey, I'm 50 this year. I'm in the same boat. I'm definitely old. But Daniel's tossed in and, you know, again, he, the king is like, okay, the odds are not in his favor, but he might still be alive. And what's he doing? First thing, sunlight. Boom, runs down there, and there he is. There's Daniel. When are we going to learn that anything that involves us is false hope? If we're putting it in our hope in any institution that isn't God, it isn't, it isn't going to work out. And that God is truly faithful. We have an entire Old Testament chock full of examples to us so that we can live our life. And this is how come Paul and Peter and them are writing, John writing to the seven churches, trying to get us, hey, don't you see, this is what God has already done. 
Trusting in human strength rather than God's power will ultimately lead to defeat. Write that down. Put it on your mirror. Look at it every morning. And then go out and live it. Trusting in human strength, whether it's yours or somebody else's, it's going to lead to our defeat. None of us can do it on our own. Second, God remains faithful even when we aren't. If we fail, we fall, we trip, we mess up. God's got a hand and he's offering it to us to help pick ourselves up. He doesn't cut us off just because we screw up. One sin and you're not out. Ten sins and you're not out. Forgiveness is available constantly. Recognize it. Put God back on the throne. Because let's face it, that's what sin is. is We take God off the throne and we put ourselves or somebody else up there. We, we need to take him down, put God back up there, ask for forgiveness, which means leaving whatever it is behind. Throw the statues away. Don't try and salvage the gold or the silver. You, you just leave it and move on. And then finally, trusting in God will ultimately lead to victory. Do we want to win? Do we want a life that matters? Do we want to feel that God has done something amazing? Then we need to live it. We need to trust in him. Live for him and life will have meaning. And so many people chasing around meaningless things in life. One more promotion, one more uh, whatever. I can find, we wonder why divorce rates are so high. It's constantly chasing after, I, if I could just get the right guy, the right gal, whatever it is, or the right family. We, we want to blame everything. We've got to come to God. It's trusting in him which means forgiving other people and all of that stuff. Let's close in prayer. Father, you've given us so many lessons in this uh, through Scripture. Lord, we know that uh, you really mean it. And Hezekiah does finally listen and puts his faith in you and you show up and do the miraculous and chase away the Assyrians. Lord, help us to live a life that's committed to you and and realize that when we dethrone you, we've got to put you back up there. And Lord, just the, the ease of knowing that we don't have to do it. We're not responsible to make it happen. That you will do it in your time and in your way. Thank you for all that you've done, Father, already. In your name we pray. Amen.